Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine, broadcasting from the Oilfield Expert Studios. Oilfield Experts, where you get the right products right now. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. And now it's time for me to welcome on my guest, Senior Industrial Analyst for Bloomberg Intelligence, Fernando Vale. Fernando, welcome back to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Great to be here. Thanks for having me, Ken. Well, you know, it was important to talk about the OPEC Plus cuts because there's a lot of uncertainty that's now going to happen in the market. And I wanted to understand a little bit more about what can we expect from the U.S. side, global. Will there be a major change? So there's going to be a lot to cover. But before we get started, Fernando, tell us a little bit about your background. Um, how did you get to be this one of the senior industrial analysts for Bloomberg Intelligence? And then also, what is Bloomberg Intelligence, its core mission? Sure. Uh, so I'll start with the second part of the question. We are uh, the investment research arm for Bloomberg. We talk about the equities, commodities, uh, fixed income for all the Bloomberg uh, subscribers. And our mission is to provide actionable insight and commentary on the changes in the industry and the actions by the companies and how uh, that will impact um, the, the the companies themselves and and uh, eventually they how they generate their earnings and free cash flow um, I might I've been here now for about six years prior to that I was at Citigroup uh, doing investment research in the oil and gas segment as well uh, so altogether about 13 years covering the oil and gas space. Um, I've covered the gamut from refining to petrochemicals to upstream uh, in the Americas and the, the global majors. Uh, today, I focus on the global majors and in the uh, refining space in the Americas, um, but and also the commodity itself. Well, you know, today's show, I really want to drill down into helping everyone understand Saudi Arabia, their involvement with OPEC, and then OPEC Plus, because there are two. But also when they do something, it affects everyone. And we've also seen when shell producers in North America are left to their own free will. In other words, the government gets out of the way and lets free capital markets run. We see that North American shell producers can really step up and turn on the spigot, if you will, and produce our own volume. And that's something I want to cover because I think it's important to understand the differences. And I think it's important for our listeners to also understand I know you probably don't want to get into the regulations, and I won't, but there are impacts when we have administrations that are somewhat anti-oil and gas, fossil fuel, and then uh, the difference between uh, an administration like the Trump administration that was very pro and allowed the operators to open up. And even under Obama, you know, which is when the oil ban was lifted under his administration, we really saw what the United States can do in putting our own oil and gas out on the global market. It's important to remember that our allies, uh, you know, our European allies are definitely in need of assistance with Russia invading Ukraine. So hopefully everybody can understand we we are all in this together in some degree when we talk about our energy needs globally as well as here. And there's a lot of misunderstanding. So let's start with Saudi Arabia announced that their country would be cutting one million barrels a day um, and they're trying to reverse the sagging oil prices, if you will, um, as other OPEC plus members have extended existing price cuts all the way through 2024. 
the oil prices uh, on the global economy um, are, are now in question. So let's begin with just a little bit of information, the differences between OPEC, OPEC plus. Can you tell us? Uh, so OPEC is the cartel per se, and uh, led by Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. They, they are about half of OPEC in combined production. And then OPEC plus essentially includes Russia. So they're not a formal member of OPEC. They're just an ally of OPEC. Uh, at least they've, they've ratified an agreement that they would uh, make joint decisions on, on output to try to influence prices together. And their sole goal, OPEC, OPEC Plus, and then there's, of course, us, which we don't really have an official name. Um, we're all trying to stabilize oil prices for the world. But it seems like these 13 countries, uh, countries uh, OPEC, that consist of mainly Middle Eastern and African nations, was created in the 60s to kind of give uh, a fix on the global world supply. And then, you know, OPEC Plus, as you mentioned, came on board. Um it seems like, though, at the head of this is Saudi Arabia. So they've made this announcement to cut one million barrels on top of already a cut that was in existence that started back in the midterms when uh, President Biden had asked OPEC to help in stabilizing the prices. Take us back historically. At that time, what was the need to now? Sure. Yeah. So uh, OPEC is, is, as I said, a cartel. They control prices, which is an antitrust issue for most Western countries. So we're not allowed to do anything like that. That would be against the laws. Uh, but of course, they're a sovereign nation. They can do as they please. Um, in As you mentioned, there was a cut of about 1.6 million barrels a day um, that was now extended through the end of 2024. Uh, important to mention, as you said, Saudi Arabia is burdening themselves with another million barrels a day of lower production. Um, but there's a caveat there because they also rebalanced uh, the baseline for what the other com countries will lower their production. So net net is not going to be 2.6 million barrels a day of lower production. It's probably closer to 2.3, 2.2 million barrels a day, which is still very significant. The the black crude uh, production globally is around the 80 million barrels a day. So 2.2 to 2.2 is a very significant portion of that. Um, the intent, as you mentioned, is to shore up the oil price. But the issue that we see is that the, that is only one side of the equation, the supply side of the equation. The demand side of the equation is also very important. And that and the cartel and none of those players can actually control it. Um, and that is playing a much bigger part. And we see it at, even as OPEC and Saudi Arabia deepen their cuts. Uh, Brent prices are still in the 70s. WTI fell below $70 a barrel. So there's limited impact that they can have in the short term. So let's let's just let, let me drill down a little bit and ask about the latest production cuts, the impact. I know you said that, but can you go into a little bit of detail of like the global economy compared to the first cut that OPEC Plus had in April? Um, what is going to be the difference? Like what is globally are they going to see? Is it going to make a big difference or is it just going we're going to see a small little blip on the radar? Well, I think the the cuts aren't going to be as effective as Saudi hoped they would be. Uh, and there are a couple of reasons for that. If you go back to last year, um, you had, as you mentioned, the, the, the invasion of Ukraine by Russia um, that was uh, supposed to curtail supply. It didn't really affect. And then you had all of China's lockdowns, their COVID zero policy. They were impacting their local demand. Um, Europe itself also started rationing some of their energy uses to combat the um, higher prices due to shortfalls in natural gas. So all of that 
created an imbalance um, that was prices were high. And I forgot to mention also the U.S. was releasing a million barrels a day from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve as well to counter those high prices when OPEC made those cuts. Um, what's changed since then is China has reopened. But that reopening has not been nearly as effective as, as was hoped. Uh, the U.S., the Federal Reserve, has hiked interest rates to over 5% to combat uh, a rampant inflation. Uh, that's uh, led to lower investments, not just in oil and gas, but in general. And we're starting to see some uh, cracks in consumption. Europe was already was the first one, but even in the U.S. side of the equation, you're seeing some impacts. I'm sure some of your listeners are very familiar with freight um, and the logistics manager index uh, readings have been at all-time lows for three consecutive months. Um, and you've seen everyone from the CEO of UPS uh, warning of 10% lower uh, volumes in, across their system to J.B. Hunt's CEO claiming that we are in a freight recession. So all of those are negative indicators for the usage of oil and gas. Of course, most of the, the oil and gas uses in transportation, um, and especially in heavy transportation, and there's very little alternative to oil and gas usage. So for transporting less, it is usually negative for the overall consumption numbers for oil. So just to make sure that I understand this properly, Fernando, you know, uh, the EIA is claiming that these uh, we're going to start seeing higher oil prices after the announcement from OPEC Plus. Okay, but you're also saying, but we start preparing. We're going to start seeing the global supply chain have issues as a result of this. Is that what you're kind of saying that we can expect? Well, I'm saying that uh, the the OPEC is essentially trying to fight the Federal Reserve in balancing the oil markets, and the Federal Reserve is saying we want lower demand. That's why the interest rates are higher. And theoretically, if everything else was equal, lower supply should lead to higher prices. But we don't think that will be the case because the the impact of increasing rates and reducing consumption will be uh, very significant. Uh, and not just in the U.S., you can see even in China as well, export figures in China were down 7.5% in May. Uh, imports were also down 4.5%. Um, so the recovery that was expected uh, is just not at, to the magnitude that, that we hoped. And remember, even though we are the largest economy, China is the highest importer of oil. So on the demand side, they're much more relevant than us because they're the marginal buyer of oil, we produce a significant portion of the oil that we consume. And together with Canada, we are a lot more balanced, uh, whereas China imports the vast majority of their crude. Well, speaking of China, they're expected to go up in, in what their demand is as well. So how does that affect them? And does the Biden administration, you know, he's very limited on his options of what he can do as well, correct? Well, yeah, and but I think to to their benefit, the lower oil prices tend to be favorable to the current administration because ultimately it should lead to lower gasoline prices. Um, China, as you, as I was saying, their economy is showing uh, just weaker numbers than was expected, and and that's when you think about it. If we are consuming less, China is primarily an export economy, and who do they export to? The U.S. and Europe. If we're not purchasing as much, they're not selling as much, and they will have a harder time balancing their accounts, uh, especially if they continue to import large amounts of crude and other raw products. Um, 
the Biden administration has put out a tender that they've filled for 3 million barrels of crude for the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. They then have done another 3 million barrels. That's not very significant considering we sold over 220 million barrels over the past year, but it is some additional support. We've also sold more barrels this year because they're mandatory sales. Uh, it's an act of Congress, so we have to sell it unless we get an exemption. Um, so we've sold more in this year. We're going a very short way so far to refilling this. Uh, it would be advantageous, I think, for the U.S. in general and for the industry to have a plan uh, for refilling the, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Um, that is on the DOE primarily, but larger scale uh, acquisitions will probably require an act of Congress as well. Let's take a quick break. I want to come back and talk on the Strategic Petroleum Reserve and the pricing. You're listening to in the Old Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to in the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Senior Industry Analyst for Bloomberg Intelligence, Fernando Vale. Fernando, before the break, you know, my question was, okay, so OPEC Plus has made this announcement that they're going to cut another million barrels per day. How does this impact uh, us uh, and, and globally? And you were discussing the Biden administration. They have not a lot of options pertaining to this announcement, but there might be some opportunity here when we talk about the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, which has really been depleted and it's at its lowest, one of its lowest levels in, I think, 40 years. Um, I don't like that reserve being that low. And I'll tell you why. It was really created for emergencies and uh, in an act of war, which I think we live in a very, I'm not trying to scare anybody, but we live in a very strange time right now, somewhat dangerous. No one ever I don't think most of us expected that Russia would invade Ukraine overnight, and they did. So having that petroleum reserve uh, full is really a good idea. It's something that we should have, and it's been drained. So I want to give you back uh, the opportunity to explain. There's an upside that the Biden administration could take advantage when we talk about the SPR. Tell me about it again. Sure. Um, so as I said, we've sold about 220 million barrels a little bit more once you consider the mandatory sales from this year. And so far we've bought 3 million back, plan to buy another 3 million barrels uh, to refill that reserve. There is a little bit of a mismatch because we sold primarily sour, medium sour crudes, uh, the ones that uh, are typically, they produce higher diesel. Um, they aren't as easy to refine as lighter crudes, um, but the production in shale is primarily lighter crudes. So to refill, there's a little bit of a mismatch which we can address, and I, I believe we will. Um, but as you mentioned, there is an opportunity at lower oil prices. Uh, you know, with WTI around $70, it's within the range that the uh, the Department of Energy had set out to acquire barrels. Um, and we think if they outline a plan to refill, um, it would not only provide a lower cost of energy um, for the American public and, and the U.S. government, um, but it would also create a certain um, a understandable path for the industry as well to maintain our production, even if oil prices dip below the current levels and to maintain activity in the shale patch. And for us to continue to gain market share because essentially Saudi Arabia has pulled back and ceded market share. And it behooves us to grow our market share if that's the, the case. Let's talk about 
about the effects on oil prices on an infl- on inflationary concerns as well. Um, it, it, you know, part of trying to stabilize um, these uh, the the oil and gas, if you will, has a lot to do with inflationary concerns. So talk to us about that. Yeah, absolutely. And um, again, the the Federal Reserve hiking rates is to try to curb that inflation. And I always say that you know there's a saying in finance that you don't fight the Fed. And to me, OPEC is trying to fight the Fed by cutting supply to get oil prices to be higher, while the Fed is saying, I'm going to, to cut demand to bring all prices down, not just oil and energy, but all prices down. And the issue is, if they do manage, if OPEC manages to raise oil prices, it will just spur the Fed to raise hate rates even more and create an even bigger impact on all industries. They, as opposed to OPEC that can focus on just oil supply, the Fed doesn't focus on just energy demand. Their rates are indiscriminate. They'll raise rates on everything right. to to curb demand, and so it's a, a bit of a, a tug of war. And for OPEC to continue to cut supply, it will probably be met with more stern actions, not just from the Fed but from other central banks, because inflation is the main concern du jour. That's really their focus. That and employment, but employment rates are very high. Unemployment rates, as you say, are very low. So their biggest focus right now is controlling inflation. So trying to control inflation and these cuts, you said they're kind of opposites of each other. There's some friction there with what Mm -hmm. Saudi Arabia is trying to do versus what the United States is trying to do. And probably our listeners want to know, okay, this I get what's happening here, chicken and egg, but what does this mean for me in the near future? It's summertime. So what are what can our listeners expect in the way of how is this going to affect us, the daily Joe, the average Joe, if you will? Sure. I think two two parts, right? Higher rates, uh, of course, mean higher costs to, for, for mortgages, for credit card debt, for any debt that you may need to take in, in, in lower investments in general. So uh, and we see we see that manifested in um, layoff announcements, for example, because companies hired expecting to have a growth trajectory, and now the the costs to invest are significantly higher. Um, and then on the oil side, because of that investment is lower, activity is lower, then we expect prices will continue to to track lower, regardless of the OPEC movements. Um, we we don't think they'll necessarily create the impact that Saudi Arabia is looking for, uh, at least not in the short term. You know, if we go out into second half of 2024, 2025, yes, that could have a big impact because we do see the supply shortfall happening in the longer term. But in the shorter term, there are ways to alleviate any supply shortfall. um, And the focus is really on carbon inflation. On the positive side, uh, you know, today we had the consumer price inflation readings. It was lower than expected in the U.S., slightly lower, but the slowest it's been in a while. Um, that's a positive for us as consumers. You know, our prices aren't rising as much at the at, at the supermarket or at restaurants. Uh, that's a positive. Uh, of course, there's still a long way to go to get back to the two percent target. We were at four percent uh, on the release today. Very good. Let's take a quick break. But when we return, I want you to give us uh, an idea of what the next steps are going to be and updates that OPEC plus countries might do next. You're listening to the old Pet Radio Show. We'll be right back.
In the oil and gas industries, you don't just need a workers' comp provider. You need a workers' comp provider who understands your business. That's Texas Mutual Insurance Company. At Texas Mutual, they've created the Texas Oil and Gas Association Safety Group exclusively for businesses involved with exploration and production. That means you'll have access to information and safety resources that fit the way you work. But the advantages don't stop there. As a safety group member, you'll receive a premium discount on your workers' comp. Plus, you can qualify for double dividends. You heard that right. Members can earn an additional dividend on top of the one you receive as a policyholder. It's all part of Texas Mutual's commitment to working as a partner with the businesses that keep our state running. Texas Mutual and the Texas Oil and Gas Association, two great organizations that are even better together. To see if you qualify to become a safety group member, go to texasmutual.com TXOGA. Hey, when you're in business, you have to make a lot of tough choices. So let's talk about an easy one, your workers' comp coverage. If you're a propane or butane dealer or operator, you need to join the Lone Star Energy Safety Group through Texas Mutual Insurance Company. As a member, you'll automatically get a discount on your premium, plus you can earn double dividends that will go straight into your pocket. It's the easiest decision you'll ever make. Find out more at texasmutual.com slash Lone Star Energy. You're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Senior Industry Analyst Fernando Vale with Bloomberg Intelligence. Fernando, before the break, you were kind of discussing inflation and what's happening with the OPEC cuts. What, is, what are they trying to do and how is it going to impact us here? Who would have thought that a country in Saudi Arabia, their cuts will affect us here at home? But what we're trying to work on, it really does. So I want to go back to, uh, first of all, the operators, um, our North American producers here, our shell producers, the companies that are focusing on onshore drilling in the United States. Um, these cuts, how uh, profound will it be for them? Um, is there a place where they can take advantage of it and use it to their advantage, like we saw in the very beginning when we had the embargo uh, lifted under the Obama administration? It took off like a wildfire wildfire will we still see or will we see anything close to this uh, uh I'll, I'll leave it there i have another question but i'll, I'll give you an, an opportunity to answer that one first yeah absolutely uh, i think in the short term it's save your money and be very judicious with your spending because it, it's going to be a period of adaptation because demand will be lower and so you want to really conserve your capital um Try to find as many efficiencies as you can, because in the short term, demand will continue to be the driving force of, uh, behind oil prices. Um, I think in a second moment, it, there will be market share to be had um, because there's been a pullback in from OPEC. Um, there's been a pullback in other parts of the world as well, and demand will come back. The one thing that we know is that we need energy it always to develop. Does. <laughs> yeah, we, we could, exactly, because we always need energy to develop. That's the only way that any human has ever improved their standard of living is by consuming more energy. And it's not just necessarily oil and gas, but oil and gas is very important and will remain very important for the foreseeable future. So keeping that uh, dry powder and making sure that you don't go through your inventory very quickly because there will be better times uh, will be cr critical to gaining that market share. And I think, um, you know, when you look at some of the, the, the more established plays, your Bakken's, your Eagle Ford's, um, 
it, there's been some some drops in the, the efficiencies there. Uh, there's been increased natural gas production. I think looking for ways to improve the recovery rates uh, to lower the costs in the, in those regions will be critical. Again, uh, it's not old age that kills wells; is is the cost associated with keeping them running. And so, trying to remove as much as possible uh, is one way. Um, I know again, acidity and 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 sulfur become a, an increasing concern in older wells. So, finding a way of addressing that is important as well. Um, and then, improving your commercial uh, standing on on the the byproducts can help offset some of those costs. So, basically, what you're saying is we're going to see our operators here in North America probably practice more of continuing to just stay the path of watching, continuing to, to not go out and, and uh, overspend, don't um, do anything crazy, just hold the pattern, if you will. Is yeah, I think in the short term, that's that's the best strategy. Um, again, there is a drop off uh, in supply that is going to start rearing its head in, in late 2024, 2025 as demand returns. but. You know the the ability for governments to release strategic reserves or to reduce um, to increase exports is it's there. I mean, China's um, strategic petroleum reserves total crude reserves are over one billion barrels, so they have plenty of room to consume that before necessarily having to deal with higher prices. Um, so if demand is really weak, you don't want to go against that tide and overspend and, and drill a well, one of your best wells when if WTI is at you know sixty, fifty-five dollars, you want to maximize your your value uh and wait for for a recovery. Yeah. You know, we're gonna uh get ready for break here, but something you just said really caught my attention. So China has over a billion barrels in their strategic petroleum reserve. Please oh, total total crude reserve. Total. And what do we have total in ours? Uh, about six fifty, seven hundred, I believe right now. Million. Yes, but they are also one, over 1.1 billion people versus 330 million. So we, we have a good, uh, I think we have a decent reserve, especially considering we produce 12.2 million. China produces close to 3 million. So we have a, a continuous production uh, and our neighbors to the north produce uh, nearly 5 million barrels a day. Um, and they only consume about uh, two, under two. So we have we have resources. Uh, of course, we could improve our, our strategic petroleum reserve, but it's it's not a it's not as dire a situation either because we That's have good. that production. Good. Thank you, Fernando, for walking me back from the lineage. <laughs> Let's take a quick break when we return. Um, I want to talk about OPEC Plus again and what are their next steps. And then also, you keep mentioning 2024, 2025. I want to understand. Um, what do you think this administration will be doing to try to bring everything in line uh, to make numbers look better, whether it's inflation, the price of, of uh, gas at the pumps? What can we expect as we're going to move into the political season? Because, you know, it's already started, but it's just starting. So I want to see what you think we will see as the uh, debates heat up, specifically pertaining to uh, the energy sector. Uh, you're listening to in the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to an Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Senior Industry Analyst with Bloomberg Intelligence, Fernando Vale. Fernando, um, let's talk a little bit about this upcoming uh, political season where we're going to be going into finding a new president or retaining the old. Um, there's always a lot of politics that happen, uh, especially pertaining to uh, oil and gas, or I should say, there's always a lot 
of interesting um, developments in, in, in the way that uh, both parties come across in their energy policies. Um, and we've seen in the past, energy has been used. It's been politicized all the time pertaining to each candidate saying that they are supportive of what's going on. Some are for green, some are for oil production. Uh, we believe Donald Trump will be running. The Biden administration has been pro-green energy. What do you see? What does your analysis, analogies tell you that we're going to see that are going to be some of the main favorite things that these candidates like to talk about uh, when we talk about our energy demands here in the United States? Yeah, I think if you just look at the experience in Europe, there's been a return to talking about energy affordability and energy security, not just um environmental impacts of energy. So that, that tripod is increasingly important. Um, we've been lucky to have uh, significant energy resources in this country, a lot of abundant uh, natural gas, oil, and other forms of energy. So we're not in as dire a position as, as uh, Europe was uh, in, in this time last year. Um, but I think there's going to be increasingly more talked about continuing to develop that and the importance of, as you mentioned in an earlier segment, supporting our allies with affordable and secure energy and becoming a, a, a significant portion of the energy matrix uh, globally. You know, natural gas that was previously viewed as a transition fuel, I think it will increasingly be talked about as a, as a baseload fuel, as something that is critical for that energy security and that energy affordability. Um, and the U.S. can play a, a major role in stabilizing that market with our uh, liquefied natural gas exports. And I, I don't think you will tell me on the radio who you think which candidate will be carrying out that platform. <laughs> will it be? <laughs> okay, let's move on. Uh, OPEC Plus, their next steps. Um, what do you think OPEC Plus and their member countries are going to continue to do? Um, what will we continue to see from that group? Well, I think they have limited options now. You know, Saudi's already bearing a significant cost by reducing their their output. Um, there are questions to, to whether Russia will comply with their, their cuts. Uh, they haven't been very good historically about doing that. Um, so I you know, I think Saudi, uh, they will have very little scope to continue reducing unless the other member countries step up to the plate. Um, and there are really only a few that make a significant impact. You know, Angola, um, Libya don't have a significant impact in oil supply. It's Saudi, it's the UAE, it's, uh, it's Iraq, and it's Russia. Those are the four big ones that will have an impact. Um, and, and so I, I think they... They can try to continue cutting. Uh, I don't think they'll have a significant uh, ability to do so, especially since Saudi has already shouldered most of the burden. It, it'll be hard for them to convince the other three that they need to cut more um, now that the prices are low. You know, Saudi <clears throat> always had the, has the biggest balance sheet. They have the most cash in the bank, the biggest production. So they. They shouldn't have been the first movers. I think they'll have a hard time convincing the smaller guys to cut if prices are low. Um, and so I think right now they'll, they'll probably stand um, at their current situation. If anything, try to signal uh, an even deeper, uh, uh, even longer cut as opposed to a deeper cut. And the last question I have for you is, so these other foreign countries that are coming on board, I think we have um, Iran, Venezuela, uh, and of course, the cuts to Russia. 
how are these affecting the market by them by them either coming on or being cut? Can you give us an update on that as well? Yeah, I think uh, the Venezuela uh, lifting of the sanctions has been very good for U.S. refiners. It's helped um, improve the crude diet because that Venezuelan crude helps produce more diesel, which was a, a shortfall for us. Um, and it, it, it eased our dependence on other sources of crude. Um, but it's not the end-all, be-all. The, the, that country requires a significant investment to get their production up to the levels that it was. And it's some as a country that used to produce four or five million barrels a day, and now it's producing around one. Um, but it requires a lot of capital. It's a very difficult crew to produce and export. Uh, with Iran, you know, they they've always exported. There hasn't been a significant change to the volumes that are on the market um, because again they don't they don't have capital to continue investing uh, it just legitimized some of their production that they were already exporting anyway and that's true of Russia um, you know we've tried to curb their their exports and we haven't really succeeded in curbing their volumes just reducing their revenues um, you know China India Pakistan continue to buy cheap Russian crudes and Perhaps we've hurt most is actually Saudi Arabia because they usually have had to compete in Asia with the Russian and discounted Russian crudes. And uh, previously they were reducing their official selling prices. Uh, they've raised it in their last um, in their last outing, um, which is a it's an interesting strategy considering that the demand in China has been relatively weak. So let's take a quick break. When we return, I want to close down the show with um, I want to close down the show with looking back and kind of just overall, where are we going to go with the energy uh, sector with these new cuts? Let's take a quick break. You're listening to in the Old Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. Attention small and medium-sized business owners. Are you feeling overwhelmed with back office tasks like payroll, workers' compensation, federal regulations, safety laws, employment standards, and benefits? Don't worry, Unique HR has your back. For over 30 years, our team of qualified professionals has been providing people-centered solutions to help businesses like yours navigate the heavy burden of running a business and managing their workforce. We're the PEO with a pulse, and we are just a phone call away. Call us today at 361-852-6392. Unique HR, the partner you can trust. Are you a business owner feeling overwhelmed where to begin your business's online presence? Maybe you've spent thousands of dollars in the past just to be highly disappointed with the results. We understand because we were once you. Since then, we decided to hire the very best experts to help us and you. Let us send you our business profile that will quickly show you your Google business rankings in these five areas. Reputation, ratings online, website, advertising and social media and search engine optimization all of these areas really affect how google ranks your entire listing so if ranking on page one is your goal pick up the phone and call us now 210-240-7188 or simply go to shalemag.com slash business profile we'll be in contact with you within 24 hours once again pick up the phone and call us now 210-240-7188 or simply go to shalemag.com that's s-h-a-l-e-m-a-g.com slash business profile start dealing with a company you can trust and always find shale oil and gas business magazine provides services like print advertising and digital marketing our digital advertising services include website email radio video and social media 
Shale also provides specialized web services from website management to search engine optimization and social media management. Visit our website, shalemag.com. Once again, that's shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G.com to learn more. Shale is your one-stop shop for growing your business. Pick up the phone today and call 210-240-7188. Again, 210-240-7188. And we're back. You're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Fernando Bell, who is a, a senior industry analyst with Bloomberg Intelligence. Fernando, thank you again for, for coming on the show and helping us understand how a cut across the world from us really does have an impact on us. And we really need to understand more about how it affects us and not just at the pump or the grocery store. You're an analyst that does this all day long, every day, Monday through Friday, and you help me You help me break it down so we understand what's happening. One of my good friends, Jason Isaac, with the Texas Public Policy Foundation says, Kim, I like to use the word, we have to increase uh, individuals' uh, energy IQ. So I love that because it's the truth and people like you really help us. That being said, we're on the last segment and I asked you in break, what are the things that keep you up at night because if they keep you up at night, they should keep us up at night too. And you you said demand. So go tell me what is demand, what's the issues, and what's keeping you up at night? Yeah, I think the the biggest one in the short term is just how weak it could be and the impact that it will have in in the industry itself and in the US economy. Uh, I think again the interest rates. Uh, being higher, it makes everything more expensive for us to buy new homes, for us to buy new cars. That will that is all playing out right now as as we watch it, and that can be a significant detriment in the short term. I think in the long term it will be a good thing for us because it will make the U.S. even more competitive versus some of the countries that have benefited from that low interest rate environment, namely China. Um, in the long term, I think the demand side is actually. Um, it's on the other side that it worries me because we have too much demand for too little supply and not just oil and gas, but energy in general. Um, mm-hmm. We're increasing all forms of energy consumption. Uh, one, because more of the developing countries are increasing their consumption, which they should improve their quality of life. But right. then we have things like electric vehicles and uh, we have uh, the chat GPTs and artificial intelligence that consume more data, all of our smart devices, they consume more electricity. So all of that is raising the amount of energy that we consume as a society. And we are replacing some of the more stable sources of energy that produce low cost energy like nuclear plants and even natural gas and coal plants with intermittent renewables that have uh, some shortfalls, especially in critical areas. And that will create an imbalance. So fixing that imbalance in the in the medium and long term is one of the, the main worries that we see out there. Uh, and we think there's an opportunity for the U.S. again that has abundant uh, energy um, uh, sources to become a leader and to um, maintain that, that low cost of energy advantage and reindustrialize and uh, improve the standard of living across here. Uh, in a way that's sustainable, but also beneficial to to our people and to our economy. Is there one, and you're not promoting any one, but is there one company that you see that seems to have uh, a good idea 
that you can say will meet or are there a few that because we do know the, yeah. the planet is growing energy resources will be necessary and all of these things instead of us picking winners or losers green or oil and gas we should be promoting them all because we don't have enough energy to support the planet it's just going to get worse which might be why you're staying up at night and me too however some of these promising operators maybe it's not even an operator maybe it's a green uh company what are some of the companies that are standing on your mind that you can say, hey, you know, I like what they're doing. Yeah, I think in general, as you said, we need a basket approach with several different sources. So uh, you could talk about uh, some of the companies investing in solar and especially rooftop solar has a lot of merits. I think carbon capture and there are a number of companies doing that from Exxon to Chevron to um, to Talos Energy and others. Carbon capture is a way of reducing our footprint while using the existing infrastructure. Um, you have very interesting technologies uh, in, uh, in from sustainable aviation fuels for a company like Nesti Renewables out of Finland. Uh, Darling Ingredients, that is the largest uh, processor of uh, animal uh, carcasses and uh, animal byproducts, converting a lot of that into renewable fuels that can be drop-in fuel, so it can work on any uh, existing engine. And they're partners of Bolero Energy out of San Antonio uh, and Diamond Green Diesel, uh, Chevron acquired renewable energy groups. So there are a lot of interesting companies um, creating solutions. Uh, you know, are any of them the end-all be-all? No, I think we'll need a, a, the collection of them to, again, do a sustainable, affordable, um, abundant energy matrix. Now, two two fuel sources that I noticed you left out, not intentionally, but they may not be on the radar, but they are part of our fuel consumption in some degree, uh, or energy consumption, excuse me, is uh, nuclear and coal. What are the future for them as well? Sure. I think nuclear, um, there is a new technology called uh, small modular reactors. That's very interesting. So it's essentially similar ways of uh, that producing nuclear energy, but in a small, but on a much uh, smaller scale, right? On a much yeah, smaller... A smaller scale that can be factory produced, so it's much faster and cheaper uh, to deploy them. Uh, you'd still build very large facilities, similar to the ones that we have today, but the overall building would reduce the costs. Um, and, and I think there's a huge opportunity there, but it takes a while to to get those developed. Um, yeah, when you mention nuclear, everybody just like, oh my God, Chernobyl. No, it's changed. And honestly, it is a solution for the environment if you want to look at it. Uh, absolutely. It's one of the lowest uh, emissions uh, solutions. It's actually one of the safest uh, globally yes. as far as accident rates and, and death rates. Um, and then uh, coal, uh, you know, I think, there is a advantage to coal that it, it's very easy to transport. It's very, uh, it, it doesn't freeze, you know, even natural gas, the natural gas lines can freeze and others. You can have some issues in extreme weather and coal is a, a good source uh, of an uninterruptible uh, supply. Issue with coal is uh, we haven't really allowed for new mines globally. So there's a there's an issue with the supply of thermal uh, coal globally, and I think that's not getting solved anytime soon. Last uh, fuel source is hydrogen. Where is the future for hydrogen? There was a lot of legislation passed here in the United States to help promote that. Where do you think that is going to go here in the future? Yeah, I think hydrogen is... There's is all forms, though. Yeah. <laughs> It's a very difficult uh, implementation because it's it's the smallest molecule. Um, it's uh, flammable. It, it, there's no scent to it. 
um, and it's highly corrosive. Um, so it's very difficult to actually deploy and at scale. I've heard a lot about ammonia being one way of transporting hydrogen. It's very costly to convert, to create uh, green hydrogen and then convert it to ammonia and then convert it back for, to use as power. So uh, I think there's still a lot of work to be done in hydrogen, uh, personally. I, you know, we love the concept because the emissions are water and vapor. So, but I just don't think it's ready to be a significant portion of of the energy matrix, uh, and it won't be in the next ten years, in my opinion. Very good, Fernando. Thank you so much for for coming on board and, and talking to us about what we can expect with the OPEC plus uh, cuts. Where, if our listeners want to follow you, where can they find you at Bloomberg Intelligence? Yes, they can. Find me on the Bloomberg terminal. Uh, you just type my name on the terminal and you find me, or you can find me on Twitter at, at Fernando Oil. Um, always uh, posting there a, a little bit of a, what we've written about on the terminal. And uh, feel free to, to reach out at any point. And we'll also have a clickable link to reach you directly uh, with Great. Bloomberg. Thank you again. Uh, thank you for being a guest on In the Old Patch Radio Show. My pleasure. Thank you, guys. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bilotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.